0: Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons. If it's inspired you and you're able to support this podcast, starting at just one dollar per month, you can head to greendreamer.com/support to learn more. With this being an independent platform, I am looking for more support to be able to continue the show. So, thank you so much if you're already a patron. It helps a lot, and I really do appreciate it.
1: Mainly, the, the source of hunger is a logistical problem. It's something that we see every day. Is that there's enough food grown? to feed everybody on the planet. It's just more of a supply chain. How do we get that food to where it needs to go?
0: That was Winston Chu, the Culinary Director of Rethink Food NYC, which is a nonprofit organization working to recover nutritious excess food to provide low or no cost meals to New York City families in need. Stay tuned as we're about to explore the relationship between food waste, marketing, and consumer perceptions of food how we can implement and scale the solution of connecting food waste from restaurants and supermarkets to those in need who currently live with food insecurity and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word.
1: My name is Winston Chu. I've been a chef for seven years. Previous to owning Bond Bite and being the culinary re- director at Rethink Food NYC, I was an actuary. I started my cooking career at fine dining restaurants and sort of moved up from there. My first experience with, you know, social justice or caring for nature really started back when I my work as an actuary where I was doing a lot of work for companies that were in similar type fields, whether it's green energy or, you know, sustainability. And it developed into a passion over the years as I saw more and more the need for it, but also as I kind of educated myself as to what what it meant and how I can help.
0: And how and when did you personally connect the dots between social impact and sustainability and the work that you can do as a chef to support those things?
1: I think as, as I started um, opening my own business, I started realizing that I started a catering company about five years ago called Bond Bite. and as I was providing meals for people in the corporate area, I realized that there was so much waste that was going around, and typically growing up in a household of no waste, uh, my grandma always used every bits and end whenever she could. I just realized that we could do more with it. And as I stepped away from our facilities, which is located in Brooklyn Navy, I realized that in this area was a food desert and that you know the food that essentially I was throwing away could have just been prepped and delivered to these people that can eat. And, and you know, end of the day for us, for most people in New York City, we don't know when the next meal may come. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's kind of opened up my eyes to say, you know, we need to do more and we can change the antiquated model of throwing food out from restaurants or or any food establishment and, you know, extend it to the people that that, that need it the most. And hopefully that can change or at least start a conversation. I do a lot of work outside of Bombay and Rethink. I actually work with the Department of Education to come up with this culinary school called the Steam Center. And through that, I actually see the social impact of just talking to the kids um, that live in this area in Brooklyn, And realizing that, you know, many of them come from a similar story. They come from areas that are food deprived or, you know, just just lacking the nutrition or the resources like a farmers market that most people may feel like is a necessity. From there, it just realized that, you know, as we share more and more stories, realize that there's so much more work to be done.
0: And on food waste, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, roughly one-third of our food produced globally is wasted. So we already actually produce more than enough food to feed everyone in the world. And there's more nuance to that number in that every year consumers in rich countries waste almost as much food as the entire net food production of sub-Saharan Africa. And to help us conceptualize that, per capita waste in Europe and in North America is about 95 to 115 kg a year for consumers, while in sub-Saharan Africa, South and Southeastern Asia, each consumer throws away only 6 to 11 kilograms a year. So for those of us in the United States, I believe the number is 40% of our food production is wasted. I'm curious what you see as the root cause of this. I mean, is this happening mostly in people's individual households? Is it mostly on the production and supply side? And what are the primary reasons for this high inefficacy?
1: So I believe most of the food waste in the U.S. is driven by the markets. You know, what our understanding of what's being pushed to us as, as a consumer, you know, what is a considered tomato? What should we accept as a tomato, for instance? And understanding that, you know, tomatoes come in various shapes and forms and sizes, and they're all beautiful. And until there's more demand from the consumer end to say, hey, those tomatoes are fine. We're happy with, you know, buying those tomatoes and create a market for it. The producers are not going to f- enforce it. Mm. And it's sort of the, the question of supply and demand, right? If there's no demand, there's no supply. So if there's a demand for ugly tomatoes, which we're starting to see in the markets these days, you know we're getting companies like Ugly Fruit, uh, Misfit Markets. So they're they're creating a secondary market for the the seconds, as they you know most people would call it. So to me, I think most of the the biggest to answer your question, the biggest issue with with food excess is you know, the ability to sell that. And I think if people start looking at it as a, instead of food access or food waste and start calling it food asset, mm. you know, it starts changing the dialogue that, you know, which is negatively perceived to so something that's more positive. Is as an asset, how can we use it? Can it be salvageable? Can it be eaten? Can it be you know, sold at a subsidized rate? If not, something that's, you know, equal. And I think most of it is we're controlling the markets and for the reason it is driving the cost up because, We're we're needing to recover so much more labor costs or production costs to grow that tomato.
0: Is this kind of like a vicious cycle where initially the markets may have been like, oh, we're seeing that people are picking the more perfect apples, the more perfect tomatoes. So then they maybe they always ended up with the less perfect ones at the end of the day. So then they just started saying, let's not even have the imperfect ones in the store because people don't really take them. And then people not knowing that that is what is driving our food waste, we continue to have these perceptions of what a carrot should look like or what a a tomato should look like. So we continually feed into that cycle. And suppliers, because they do now maybe sell more of these perfect-looking apples, they continue this this mindset as well to only select what is perfect.
1: That is 100% correct. And I think part of the conversation is also that at some point, it becomes a norm that apples and tomatoes, wherever you may have it, should look like a certain, obtain a certain perception as to how it looks. It tastes. If it tastes the same, you know, why, why aren't we selling it? You know, and it's. I think because of technology and how we're growing vastly, and how we can turn over a crop, and you know, grow more in abundance. That we've taken advantage of that to say, okay, we don't need to be picky because we have a you know bigger crop to pick from. Even if we only take 40% of it or 60% of it, we still have enough to mm. go around. Right. And I think mainly the, the source of hunger is a logistical problem. It's something that we see every think is that there's enough food grown to feed everybody on the planet. It's just more of a supply chain. How do we get that food to where it needs to go?
0: And I would like to segue into your work at Rethink Food NYC, which is a nonprofit organization working to recover nutritious excess food to provide low or no cost meals to New York City's families in need. Can you set the stage for us for what food insecurity in New York City looks like today? That became the foundational why for this work?
1: For us, Matt, who is the founder of uh, Rethink Food and myself as a culinary director and part of the executive board, we came together. Um, We met, met through a mutual friend in the industry and Matt came to me and proposed, you know, hey, I want to solve hunger. I had I had some space in my kitchen at at Bomb Bite. I was intrigued. I was, you know, already doing that work by myself and it just I just saw a bigger picture. I saw opportunity for us to do a little bit more by joining forces. So the concept of rethink was actually started through a pilot program that happened two years ago in an incubation kitchen. Basically what we did was we drove a truck around New York City restaurants. We were able to convince several business owners that own restaurants to donate food, the likes of Levin and Park, Made Nice, Nomad Hotel, The Grill, Gramercy Tavern. So those were our first five clients or donors, so to speak. Basically, we went around. We at, Towards the end of service, we came with our bins. We collected the food. From there, that food was chilled down, brought through a truck back to the facility, where we had hired a couple of chefs, including ourselves, to look at the food and say, hey, what can we possibly make out of this with minimal supplementation from our end? So we were able to create about 100 to 200 meals a night just mm-hmm. based off five restaurants and realize, wow, you know, there might be something here. As we got out, we started talking to farms. We started talking to grocery stores. And we end up collecting more and more. Today, we're currently producing about 1,500 meals a day just from excess with wow. about maybe 10 to 20% of supplementation, meaning we buy, wow. we buy um, dry goods or pantry items to help fulfill you know what consists, should consist as a meal. And so that kind of takes to where we're at today. We work with um, community service organizations throughout Brooklyn, throughout the NYC area. And we realize what we've become today is actually a caterer. We're a caterer. We're, we distribute food to community service organizations to help them and assist them in to focus on their other social aspects that they, you know, they have to offer. Most community service organizations have a very limited budget. They're there to, you know, make a social impact, fight for social justice and justice. And on top of that, people are coming in, and the first thing is like, we're hungry. Before we talk, you know, how can we listen or do any work? And we realize that you know rethink in this place today is assisting these community service organizations to feed the people to allow them to be a better organization themselves to to provide for the, their other needs
0: when you're taking food waste from around the city to make meals with sometimes these are whole ingredients sometimes you're getting leftover dishes that are already cooked or maybe they're already seasoned from the restaurants so it feels like there's no constant there you know the food that happens to be left over from one day may look different than the food left over from a different day. So how do you as the culinary director manage and work with this ever-changing and unpredictable supply of ingredients and resources to ensure that what goes out is not only safe to consume, but also delicious as well?
1: That's a very great question. And we were ourselves were asking the same question just about a year and a half ago. How do we change the public perception of prepared goods, salvage food? It has such a negative connotation. And I think through all these years, restaurants have been so afraid to donate food because they're either afraid to get someone sick or there's the myth of like, I might get sued. So we first debunked the myth of just saying you are protected. You, we As we think, we indemnify all our donors of their liabilities if someone gets sick mm-hmm. through the Good Samaritan Act that exists in New York City. And then two, working with the organizations of you know New York City of such as the Department of Health, Department of Sanitation, to really think about what is safety, what's you know, what's needed. How do we ensure that nobody gets sick, yet you know, do a good thing and solve food excess and you know hunger at the same time. So partly we did some researching. The first step was one, understanding how the food laws Work in New York City. We employed a bunch of lawyers. We've hired you know, a food safety consultant that was a former Department of Health inspector. And we went through those steps to realize you know, how does the current day system of charitable food donations work? Mm. Where does rethink fall in this category? And we've come to a conclusion that we are different in the sense that we are an organization that not only picks up food but not direct transferring it. We're bringing it back to our facilities and salvaging it and repurposing it. So we have a, a list of regulations that not only are our drivers required to know, You know, they go to serve safe, Department of Health um, you know, licensing. Same for our chefs and cooks. They come back and they understand how do we need to properly handle food so that it is safe. And if there are recalls, we you know we are working on employing a blockchain just to understand that if there's a recall, we know that something went bad, that we're able to locate that pan of food that went out to what organization, who made it, where the resources came from, so that we can better manage future mishaps. But you know, luckily today it's been minimal. So you know, there's been a large confidence as to the work that we're doing internally. And, and secondly, you know. For us, it's really creating an algorithm and looking at the commonality. So part of us is, you know, our chefs who are very passionate, they come in every day and they look at what's here. We may look at, for instance, squash soup. There may be some caramelized onions and there's some, some you know, chopped up turkey. And we look at it it's like, okay, what's in the components of squash soup? You know, we know there's squash, there's some cream, maybe some onions, some oil, and other spices and ingredients We look at the commonalities and say, okay, what other dishes that can we create has that underlying components? So so it's pretty much, you know, I I, I say it's like opening your fridge at 2 o'clock in the morning and you're very hungry and, you know, you're trying to put the best meal together. And I think that's where most dishes, the best dishes come from. Mm. You know, it's just through creativity. And I think what we have at Rethink is... This environment where we challenge our cooks and our employees to be as creative as possible by limiting the resources. And as we t- start stripping and taking away, you'll be surprised at how much more comes out.
0: Now, with you working with the readily available supply that you have on hand, I feel like that's what the entire food industry can learn from because a lot of our food waste issues stem from our food production system being more demand-driven and less so supply-driven in terms of what is readily available in this region in this season right now because we've gotten so used to getting the exact ingredients that we want all year round that we're forgetting what seasonality means. We're forgetting what is actually what actually grows in my own bioregion. So now we have this global food system where things are being flown all around the world all times of the year and we expect to have everything at all times.
1: A hundred percent. And I think part of you know the conversation is when we, when I talk to a lot of people that are, you know, either very you know people that dine all the time and they they talk to me about, hey, Winston, you know, how authentic do you think this is? I I said, you know, authenticity really reflects the time period in which you live in, right? In this day and age when you can get spices from Zanzibar overnight, it could, you know, that's what's readily available to us and that's what, you know, drives authenticity. And to have that question is, you know, when we talk about sustainability is we're talking about, is it being local? You know, is it? Does it? How much resources is, you, is being utilized to grow this or um, to, to produce this one product? Is it? Is it popular? And so, you know, I think there's a lot of questions that you know we all ask ourselves when we think about authenticity, sustainability, integrity. But you know, one thing that we know is that we, what we strive to do is to not penalize people for for where they stand, but understanding, hey, what do you have excess of? How can we use it? How can we take it? And how can we do some good with it? Mm. And I think, you know, for us, in terms of the sustainability conversation, our job is to create the most meals possible to feed the most of people possible.
0: For sure. Definitely solutions driven, given the situation that's already at hand. And I know you've discussed how technology has been influential in your work as a chef. How do you think technology has changed our ability to address food waste and food insecurity in ways that we may not have been able to before?
1: I think because food is a perishable, technology does definitely helps um, speed up the ability to recover food safely. So you know by putting in you know a conveyor belt or using systems that analyze parts and pieces of a hole we're able to divert our excess so for instance if I was uh, a company that utilized carrots and all I needed was the carrot cores and not anything else I think technology allows us to separate it peel it you know send the peels to where it needs to go in terms of compost or pick stops you know, use the, the outer parts of the carrots to make, you know, diced carrots or carrot puree or baby food or dog food or, you know, carrot soup, for example. So I think, you know, technology can play a huge factor as to how we're recovering food and segmenting food because I think the part of, for me, why we do it the most in terms of wasting food is because end of the day, it's too much work. Mm. And, and it's just easier to throw in the garbage and get rid of it rather than employing somebody in this, you know, in this market in New York City that, you know, labor is already high enough that we, can, we can't afford it. So that's why we think works really well, because we come to the organizations and we don't charge anything. We're free and we do all the heavy lifting and all they have to have to do is say yes to us, allow us to be in their kitchens, analyze what they're doing and let us tell them what we can use and take.
0: This sounds... Like, it definitely is an amazing solution in that it doesn't really add any burden to these restaurants or markets that may have food waste. So I'm curious, when, when restaurants or markets do say no, what are their primary reasons that hold them back?
1: Primary reasons, they don't want to get sued. They don't want to be liable. They're skeptical. And then we, we show them the meals that, you know, we usually typically we bring in the product. We show them the meals that we make. Um, we bring them in front of the people that are actually receiving these meals and how much it means to them it, it means opportunity for for those that are suffering from hunger every day in a sense of they're not spending time or thoughts or energy thinking looking for a next meal they know that they have a meal and a nutritious meal that allows them to nourish themselves so that they can move on to the next and the bigger things in life whether it be education or Or, you know, joining a social program to get, you know, a better apartment, a better job, et cetera. So, you know, I I think part of it is just there's a movement now. I would say, you know, four or five years ago, you know, it was still happening, but not at the scale and the platform that, you know, I think food access has today. And in terms of the secondary markets that, you know, we see from companies that are coming up selling, you know, ugly fruits and vegetables. So I, I think this is the time and, you know, we can capitalize on it and do some good. And, you know, show the world that, you know, we can think differently and that a tomato doesn't just necessarily need to look like type A.
0: (laughs) It can be type B, C or D. Now, what your team is doing at Rethink Food NYC, do you think this is a model that can be replicated in other cities and towns, or is it dependent upon the area being really or relatively more compact, like New York, where you can collect food waste and distribute meals relatively more efficiently because of that close proximity?
1: You know, I think it's the other way around. I think if it can happen in New York City, it can happen anywhere. More so is the hardest part about New York City is the logistical challenges. It's expensive. Think of as any other business. If you're able to survive in New York City, most likely you can probably go to California or other areas and do it just as well. More so because the biggest inhibitors of our cost are labor, truck drivers, cooks. And I, I feel like just navigating throughout New York City is a logistical challenge in itself. And it make, that's what makes it much tougher. So when if you're out in the suburbs or, you know, maybe just as, say for New Jersey, just for example, it might just be a little bit easier just because there's a little bit more open roads. You know, the travel time is, is is a little bit different than being in gridlock traffic in New York City.
0: And how about in other areas of the country in our food deserts where there may not even be sufficient local sources to collect food waste from to distribute among those in need? How can we learn from Rethink Food NYC and its model and apply this to larger scales of maybe entire regions of food insecurity?
1: So, you know, as we look at Rethink 2.0, or the next phase of Rethink, um, so we say, we're actually looking at larger distribution models, not saying that the restaurants and the the rooftop farms aren't important. You know, once we feel like that's stabilized, you know, our next job is to talk to the bigger distributors, right? The publics of the world, the Walmart's of the world. What are you guys doing with your food excess? Just for instance, Amazon Go. They have all these packaged food that, that's going to the landfills. How do we work with them to help alleviate what they're taking to the trash and give it to people in need? Our next steps is to really look at the bigger models, the bigger the bigger players in the supply chain and say, how do we tap into your resources and either take your stuff, pair up with a with a coal-packing dish or distributor to to produce what we need and use that to distribute to to people that or areas that need it the most so that certainly in our in 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 our next steps and phases in terms of thinking of just going bigger you know the restaurants and and the farms are good but we know that there's so much more out there and what we're dealing with right now is only a very small percentage of the of the pie
0: and to circle back to this bigger picture of our national and global issue of food waste what do you think needs to happen, or what do we need to do in order to close that loop to ensure that more wasted but still edible food can, still, can end up in the hands of low-income communities or those currently struggling with food insecurity? Are there certain regulations in place right now that's barring this from happening legally and more easily right now? Do nonprofits just need more resources and support to realize their visions, or where do you think our most impactful systemic solutions lie?
1: I think from the city side um, in New York City, we're actually getting quite the opposite. We're actually getting a lot of help and collaborative effort in terms of, hey, how do we make this the running candidate of now? Like, how do we bring more attention to it? How do we bring more resources? Partly, I think where the systemic challenges lie from how, I think, traditionally nonprofits are, are, are being run, just more so is we look at, at for you know, I speak for myself and, and rethink is that we look at our organization and, and we think how do we become self sufficient in the next couple of years where we don't have to necessarily rely on on funds or charitable donations in terms of money. How do we create a product and a service as a nonprofit to you know sustain ourselves, in turn be able to feed more people, do more work, employ more people and provide more jobs. It's really looking Looking at the antiquated models of how nonprofits are traditionally run, and you know, trying breaking down the barriers of more collaborative efforts, um, and taking more like a, a business um, oriented in terms of like how do we raise revenue for ourselves in 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 different ways. For instance, through our initiatives, um, we were able to create beer through excess citrus. We're you know currently working on you know with other beverage companies to take excess from you know different parts of of New York City and you know we're infusing it and you know hopefully in liquors and and creating beers that can sell at restaurants um, you know we're throwing cocktail competitions more so you know to get the word out there but just to also use that as an example that we can have some fun while doing this and at the same time it can be business driven as, a, as an incentive for restaurants or, or business people to say, hey, that's an idea, I really want to invest in it. How do we take that to the next level?
0: Finally, when you envision a country or a world, let's say, where we've reduced our global food waste from one-third of our food to maybe just 5 to 10%, what does that picture look like to you and how would that food production and consumption system function to close the loop of food waste?
1: I think that's a good question. And I think, you know, for me, it's it's a hard question because I do believe that we live in a very capitalist. We live in a capitalistic state and country. So our mindset is always to produce more and to do it better. I think the answer there may be changing the perception and changing the values in which how people see things and how they, how they, how they feel about what they're creating. If we're able to create more than, you know, so be it. But how do we create more with substance and with value and with the intention to do you know, we're creating a tomato, where does that tomato go? If we're creating grade A tomatoes, they're going to the supermarkets. B grade tomatoes, they're you know, they're going to marinara, C grade tomatoes, they're gonna go to the food co ops. So I, I think, you know, we just have to create with intention and I think that's the key part to solving, you know, the food gap.
0: Mm. To close, what do you think we as individuals can do to not only reduce the amount of food that we may each waste in our personal consumption, but to also help our communities in connecting our local food waste to our local or regional neighbors who are struggling with food insecurity?
1: I think to be a conscious consumer, you know, something that we tend to do is we overbuy for the sake of overbuying. I, I, you know, I think we we like to, as consumers, we like to consume, and we like to if we can afford it. What's what's to stop us? I think what we can do is you know finding alternatives and educating ourselves about alternative markets. Um, what can I do? Is there a local soup kitchen around or you know pantry that I can donate this to if I know that. Every week I have 12 pounds of produce that I'm just not using, whether I'll be, I'd rather go out to eat or, you know, something came up and I couldn't just, I couldn't cook. And I think there's a lot of tools out there um, these days, especially in New York City. We have, you know, the Department of Sanitation has Donate NYC, which is a good portal that, you know, you can donate any poundage of food. You know, we have working partners such as Transfer Nation that allows you to donate food and they audit, they set up delivery service to pick up from your house And that's as easy as, you know, going onto the app and scheduling a pickup. So I think, you know, we have a lot of tools these days to, as consumers, to divert uh, food access instead of of it going to the garbage can. And then as simple as maybe visiting the um, farmer's market and understand at least worst comes to worst is compost.
0: Towards the end of 2018, I made Green Dreamer planners printed on FSC-certified paper with soy ink, featuring our major environmental awareness dates and motivational quotes from our past guests that also supported reforestation projects with the nonprofit Eden Projects. I was initially hesitant to make them again this year because after covering a host of unexpected costs from unfortunate things that happened last year, it ended up not making any sense for me financially, especially when I'm trying to fundraise to be able to keep this show going. But so many people have been asking me about it in the past few months, saying it really supported them this past year, they really hope that I can bring them back, that I started researching my options again to see how I can improve upon what I did last year and actually make it work out. (laughs) Thank you. The <laughs> cat So I'm in the process of working on a 2020 to 21 Green Dreamer planner right now. If you may be interested, please do sign up to Green Dreamer's Weekly Digest so I can keep you posted and so I can also gauge interest levels for me to keep doing this. And even with that aside, I'd love for you to subscribe for free to our Weekly Digest anyway, where we share solutions-driven positive news stories to keep us motivated and inspired every single week. To sign up, you can head to greendreamer.com slash subscribe. I hope to catch you in your inbox, but for now, to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you?
1: One publication that actually I followed and that just changed my perspective or added to my perspective was How to Be Alive, a guide to to the kind of happiness that helps the world by Colin Bevan.
0: What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired?
1: There's a quote that I've um, recently, well, in the past couple of years that I kind of came across and it it may sound silly, but it was on Oprah and she was interviewing 50 Cent. And one thing that he says, either you pray or you worry, don't, don't do both. Mm. And for me, it just means that, you know, if we work hard and our intentions are there, And we're working every day at it. It's just chipping away. And, you know, hopefully either we can inspire ourselves or others around us to do the same. And in the end, I think we'll be able to achieve something much greater together or individually.
0: What's one thing you're working on right now for your health?
1: One thing that I'm working on in my health is just taking the time for myself, whether throughout my crazy day, just 15 minutes of just meditation or just 20 minutes working out in the park, um, just to give a sense of self, I think, you know, it's creating a lifestyle as, you know, sometimes we f- tend to forget or, you know, I myself am a workaholic. Mm-hmm. So I, sometimes I forget to eat or, or, you know, take the time that I need for myself. But in order to kind of get through the marathon as we see the journey is to take the time to make sure that we take the proper self-care for ourselves so that as we grow, we want to make sure that we're in sync of the, of the tangible goals that we're seeking for.
0: What are you working on right now to elevate your positive impact for our planet?
1: My current initiatives um, in terms of el- trying to elevate the positive impact on this planet is to you know, share my stories with people, whether it's my cooks, my employees, or just my colleagues, in a very open way to just understand what is it that we need as humans, um, You know, whether it's food, materialistic things um, and trying to really tap into what's really necessary. And and I guess on a more tangible initiative, it's just reducing the amount of excess that we have around us in in our office, in our kitchen um, that, you know, sometimes we tend to take uh, for granted, whether it's space um, and always encouraging people to, you know, no matter how much you have to, you know, there's always something to give.
0: And what makes you most hopeful for our planet and world at the moment?
1: Just the amount of positivity that exists. And, you know, part of my day is to tap into that positivity. I think, you know, through media, you know, people always tend to look at the negative. um, And it's not to just be an optimistic person. But I think if we focus on the positive energy, that's more, uh, that's better time spent than understanding, you know, the negative energy out there. Because there's always two sides of the coin, right? Um, and we can choose to either, you know, sit in the negativity or, or you know, dwell on the positivity.
0: Well, Green Dreamer, to learn more and stay updated on Winston's work at Rethink Food NYC, you can head to www.RethinkFood.nyc, and you can also follow him on Instagram at Winston C. Chu, the last name is C-H-I-U, and at RethinkFood.nyc. I'll have this linked in the show notes as well so that you can find it later on at GreenDreamer.com. Winston, thank you so much for joining us today and for all the important work that you're doing. What final words of Would you like to leave us with as green dreamers?
1: What I would love to say to the people is that altruism is what keeps the world spinning.
0: Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. To support the show, access extended content, and join our Green Dreamer network, you can head to greendreamer.com support for more information. To receive weekly solutions-driven news around ecological regeneration and intersectional sustainability, you can sign up to our free Green Dreamer Weekly Digest at greendreamer.com. And if you'd like to come say hey to let me know that you're tuning in, you can find me on Instagram at greendreamerpodcast and at kamea shane. Finally, as we're wrapping up here, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.